Womanity Africa with Osasu. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Osasu Igbenejonoguche. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of TOS TV Network, a Pan-African storytelling platform and the co-founder of Natso Global Investment, a real estate and media investment firm. On Womanity Africa, we'll be amplifying the voices of women and girls across Africa, talking to some of them who have been in the spotlight, some of them who want to get in the spotlight and making a difference in society. Without further delay, our first guest today is Funke Barua, who is the Programs Officer at Ford, Ford Foundation's West Africa office. She covers gender, racial and ethnic justice. Funke, thank you so much for joining us in today's program. Thank you for having me, Osasu. It's good to be back here. Thank you for being my first guest. How does it feel? I feel excited. <laughs> I'm very excited to have you here and start this new journey with mm-hmm. you. I noticed that a lot of people have conversation for conversation's sake rather than conversation for impact drive, impact that you can actually feel, impact that's tangible. So I felt like Womanity Africa would be a good platform to highlight what women are doing and um, also to inspire the younger generation as well to achieve and to sort of um, show them the ropes of how things are done. So I want you to talk to me today about how you started your career in uh, gender equity and the fight for gender equality. And for the girls who are watching also, who mm-hmm. you know want to emulate you, what are some of the key steps that they can take? I, I think I've been asked this question a couple of times and every time the my response has always been almost the same. I start with saying that I never ever thought I'd be doing this at all. And I sometimes call myself an accidental feminist because um, this work sort of found me. I didn't find it. Uh, for, for a young girl, uh, my growing up years, I, I would say I never experienced many of the social justice or gender injustice issues that I currently fight for. And I grew up amongst boys as an only girl. But there wasn't really that much difference in my home. It, there wasn't um, any specific rules for the girl and then spe- specific rules for, for the boys. Um, so I would, I would call my um, formative years as something that was balanced. And so you would not expect someone like me to be in this kind of career, trying to fight some injustice maybe that happened in my childhood and, and you know, to balance that out from some trauma. But no, uh, I, I guess I, I, I stumbled into this work. Uh, as soon as I started working and of course I got into the private sector first, I'd always wanted to be in the corporate ladder and then got into the public service, got to help my dad who was like, oh, the public service is better for you as a woman. And somehow accidentally I, I started working then at the Petroleum Special Trust Fund and our work was on proper projects and I was responsible for as a program officer on our roads work. And I could see how much injustice, you know, um, happened to people on the fringes and margins of society who didn't have the opportunity uh, to be maybe in the capital city, for instance, or the state capital for, you know, for states. And the access was just poor and limited. And it was worse when you were female, you know, if, if indigent men and, and boys and young men had certain limitations in their lives, 
it was double jeopardy for women and girls. It was even more. And so I felt, why, why, you know, why should this be? Why does my gender have to determine the kind of opportunities or access that I get? And, and then as my career progressed, I, you know, I really, really caught my teeth uh, in, in my years uh, when I then worked at the presidency at the office of the senior special assistant to the president on MDGs. Those 10 years for me were very critical because I just got thrown into the deep to start working on gender. And I, I had to basically learn what it even meant. Mm -hmm. I thought gender used to just refer to men and women and the biological differences. So uh, and so that meeting of uh, my boss, then Amina Mohammed, who is the current uh, deputy SG at the UN, and she said, "Oh, you're female, so you should just come work on. You should be a gender advisor." I'm like, "What? What is this?" She said, "Go read up about. It. It's not rocket science. You can do it." So I started reading about, and I could. It was then I I came to the realization that these were systemic issues, uh, structural issues, societal issues, you know, that basically limit the, um, um, the, the woman or the girl child. It was mm. just obvious. I, I didn't see it before because, you know, your background sometimes determine how you turn out because I just felt I could be as good as the boys. You know, there was no limitation in my home. So I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who should have that understanding. No, you can do it. Everybody should be given equal platforms and then you get, but not everyone had that opportunity. And that I, I came to that realization in those 10 years. And I could see that even in education, even in career, even in uh, opportunities that appeared in the public sector, the private sector, there were certain systemic barriers that hindered women and girls from getting to wherever they were. And I made up my mind to be that one voice mm. amongst many who would work to, you know, dismantle these stereotypes and dismantle the structural or systemic barriers that held women and girls back. Mm. And here we are over 20 years after, and I still feel we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot to be done. And, and one thing I always say is, you know, you have to find a way to love what you do. If you don't, you're going to be stuck in a nine to five that you're not happy about. Mm. So, you, you know, as we were speaking earlier, I have my bad days, mm -hmm. I have my good days, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I think the good days trump uh, the bad days. The bad days, wow, that's amazing. That was a loaded response. I don't even know where to start tackling, <laughs> but um, I want to start with the systemic barriers that hinder women. Because I feel like this is a conversation that has been had for decades, mm. gender equality, mm. gender equity. but. It's sort of boring to a lot of people because for the men that are watching or listening in, they're like, oh, you guys get over it. If you're good enough, if you're as good as your male counterpart, you will succeed. There's yeah. nothing holding you back apart from yourself. Yeah. So they don't necessarily see the systemic barriers that hold women yeah. back. Then for the women who have been advocating, for women who have been talking about issues like this, sometimes it feels like, is the needle really being moved? Are changes really happening? Is that, or are we just talking? Are we just gathering to talk? Are we just, you know, repeating the same cycle over and over again? You mentioned something earlier when you were introducing yourself. You called yourself a feminist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I purposely did. I went there. You went there. <laughs> I love it. What does feminism mean to you as an African woman? 
As an African woman, what does feminism mean to you? So one of the things that really um, bother me about Western definitions of ideologies is the fact that once they, they put a label on it, it then becomes the ideology, the idea they originated it. There was a Queen Amina before we started hearing about feminism, you know. There was a, I'm trying to remember the one Queen in Queen Idia, yes, Hello. Benin. <laughs> there was the one in Oyo or Kingdom. There was another woman, Moremi. Mm. There was a Moremi. Mm -hmm. There were no labels then, but these were women who defied status quo. Yeah. Um, I call myself a feminist because feminism is the radical notion that women too are people and women's rights are human rights. And everyone, regardless of their biological construct, should have access and opportunities to everything that the world wants to offer to live their best lives. Mm. And I have no apologies, no ifs, no buts about that. Um, I've had to grapple with some of these name calling uh, because on social media, everything that has a, a, an original has a counterfeit. So of course, even democracy is abused. Mm. Even faith, Christianity, Islam is abused. So mm -hmm. the abuse by some Christians or Muslims does not um, totally um, blacklist their faith, you know. So the same thing with feminism. So I, I believe that um, we ride and saw on the wings of all the women who have paid the price for us all to be able to assert ourselves and to be who we are today. Mm -hmm. And that for me is just a radical notion, just to stand tall and say I'm human too. Mm -hmm. You know, I have the same red, blue, whatever color of blood you, <laughs> you ascribe to yourself running in my veins. Mm -hmm. and, and my biological construct, the way I look, what I'm born as has, should not limit the opportunities that come to me or the mm. places or the doors I, I should get to. Mm. And one of the one of the, one of the radical feminists that I love to quote, for instance, is the Shelly Shizom who says, Shelly Shizom, yeah. Uh, she says, um, if they don't if they don't have a seat at the table, bring your own folding seats, mm. right? And I even say that if there is no table, make your own table. Mm. Just like you did. TOS, I'm sure for TOS, I'm sure if you had gone to some of these existing news houses or something to say you want to have a show, they'll build you an, an, an arm and a leg. Mm. You probably would have to run around, but you, you built your own show, you mm. know, the sheer audacity and the tenacity of that. So it's, mm. it's the same thing, you know, in the past doing that. Your parents will probably ask you, why is this what you want to achieve mm -hmm. first? Why not go uh, start a family or something mm. like that? So, yes, I don't think that the West um, gave us feminism. I think we've always had it as African women. You know, I watched um, The Woman King. It's one of the greatest movies I love, the Algoje tribe. Mm. We didn't even know that there were female warriors like that. The same thing we've, you know, we've heard about, you know, in other parts of the world. And that Africa, even we heard about the Amazons and, and, and that we even had the Agoje tribe of women who were warriors just a few hours from us in Lagos, yeah. you know. So those stories need to be told to show that we're not just imbibing a Western concept. Mm -hmm. You might have named it. And of course, like they say, the story of the hunt 
is always in favor of the hunter. Exactly. Because the, the lion or whatever animal it was, was not there to write, to his, write own part, his own story. His own exactly. Of the chase. So it's yes. always the hunt. You I, know? I completely you agree know? with you. I think the anger stems from culture. That's why I believe that we need to demystify these cultural norms in order to sort of start shaping the narrative that is reflective of us as a people. Because as you rightfully said, feminism didn't start in the West. No. <laughs> you know, our mothers, grandmothers, their mothers, their grandmothers all had this in them. They exemplified it. Queen Ida that I spoke about led thousands of men to war. She was the mother of the king mm -hmm. in Benin. She led thousands of men to war. So women have always been at the forefront of these fights. Women have always done exceptional things. But again, the story hasn't just been amplified in the way that people can truly understand and digest. That's why I think a lot of the anger about feminists, oh, you're a bra branding feminist, mm -hmm. or you don't want to be submissive to your husband, oh, you are a stubborn woman. All these things, I think it also comes from our lack of telling stories, mm -hmm. our lack of amplifying what has been done, and you know the sheer strength, and as you said, tenacity mm -hmm. and audacity of women as a people. And also this, this agenda to sort of look at women as less, mm -hmm. you know, and even in the Bible for us Christians, you know, the Bible doesn't say women are less than men, yeah, you know. Yeah. So when people also try to use re uh, religion, you know, or even the Quran or whatever to try to sort of suppress women, you're like, you don't really understand what it is that you're reading. Mm -hmm. So the anger with feminism, especially in Africa, and I bring religion and culture to it because mm -hmm. that's really what shapes us as a people in Africa, religion and culture. It starts and ends there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it starts and ends there. Everything, yeah. oh, what does the Bible say? What does the Quran say? Or what does culture say? So, you know, I think when the anger of calling yourself a feminist in Africa also comes from this lack of understanding of who we were from time immemorial, you know. So we're unable to sort of see ourselves in this light. So for you to say that you're a feminist, I mean, you defined it brilliantly. You know, you have this radical ideology that you are human too, period. And that's what feminism means to you, right? So um, moving forward, so for the young girls that are watching also and have this sort of frustration with their peers and feel like, okay, I'm striving, I'm working hard for opportunities. Mm -hmm. I have the capacity because capacity is also very important. It's not important to just say, okay, I'm another human being, I'm female, yes, yeah, but yeah. no, you need to be able to build your capacity. So they have the capacity to achieve. They have the capacity to, um, you know, become all that they're aspiring to become. But yet there are still these stumbling blocks, you know, in place. There are these cultural stereotypes that society is still seeing them as less of is but like there are a lot of passive aggressive cultures where they would skip you for po positions of promotions and stuff like that but they wouldn't actually tell you why but in nigeria they say no because now woman you be so <laughs> <laughs> we're driving 
Now, woman, so, you know, I don't really think that this position is for you. So for the young girls watching that have heard these comments time and time again, now, woman, you be so we can't give you this position. Now, woman, you be so we can't promote you. Now, woman, you be so we don't believe that you should be in politics. Now, woman, you be so we don't believe that you should be anywhere outside your house, nurturing, birthing, you know, taking care of children. So what would you say to them? Like, what's that? word of advice that you would give them that's worked for you as well you know mm. that can keep propelling them to achieve what they believe that um very good question Osasu. before i answer that i wanted to f- go back to what you talked about culture and religion and i think that the major problem for me uh, that i th- see it's interpretation mm. and i actually think the west you know uh brought us back decades you know after doing a uh, is this civilization or what's it called? Colonization. Colonization. Uh, because we were really making progress on our own. Mm. We would have found our own way to get to democracy or to get to wherever we wanted to get to. And women had, there were structures that were set up. Of course, there were traditions and cultures that were very retrogressive and really horrible towards women. But for the majority, there were strong places where women played uh, stronger roles uh, and then the, the interpretation of Christianity that we got, you know, colonialism, mm. then started from the religions that we have. I'm mm. a Christian. I'm, 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 I'm thankful to God for that. But some of those early interpretations really then put the women back. And I think when the colonial masters came, they found out that the women were very strong. They needed mm-hmm. to push one gender over and above the other to maintain that balance so that mm. they would be in control. And that's mm. what got us where we are. Mm. Because since then, how many men... Oh, I mean, how many women have you found? Like, and I mean, uh, of course, we're not fighting wars and killing bulls and everything in the forest anymore. But still, you know, we need to begin to bring back those days of glory where we have women who could fight, you know, who could, I mean, the, the independence we have today, everybody talks about Namdi Azikwe and the rest of them, Abubakar Tafawa Balewa. But when you go into the archives, you see Fumilaya Ransom Kuti. Mm going over to Britain to negotiate for, you know, uh, uh, independence. Those stories need to be told. Mm. And then back to your question about uh, our young women and what to do. I think the first battle we need to conquer is within ourselves. Once you can conquer and defeat the restrictions and the um, limitations that your mind, you know, sets for you, the rest is easy. I know it sounds cliche, but the truth is that the first limitation is in your mind. Yes. You know, whatever people you. say about you, mm-hmm. and, and that's why I'm free to talk about what I believe and, and the ideology that I follow as a woman without being scared of what people would say about feminism or, or whatever. Um, so you have to first deal with that. If you're not comfortable yet, then you're not there yet. Mm. And the truth is, whenever you wake up, is your dawn. So it doesn't matter when you realize that. You know, as long as we have life and breath, we can do anything. So it's not to force yourself to get to that space in your mind where you're not ready to confront the, the, the things that you need to do. Because if you're not ready in your mind, a little push here and there, or people saying, no, you shouldn't be doing this as a woman, you just crumble. You start to second guess yourself. You just second guess yourself and mm. crumble. So you need to overcome that barrier internally first and defeat that no can do spirit inside mm. you to, and bring it to a can do spirit level. Mm-hmm. Of course, realizing that there will be days, like I said, there are good days and bad days, and recognizing that you would fail sometimes, you would win sometimes, but uh, as you go at it, 
And then you need to find your center. What's that thing that really moves you? What's that thing that you're really interested in? It doesn't have to be uh, an Osasu or a Funke or a Chimamanda Adichie. There is that one space for you, that thing you really do well. And you're not going to find it in one day. Mm -hmm. I'm still finding mine. Mm -hmm. So please don't think everybody has that. I'm sure if you ask the Chimamanda, DJ and Osasu, what else? What's your next frontier? There are places you still want to get to that you're still trying to get there. So it's not a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's a lifelong um, ambition of mm. finding yourself and mm. finding your purpose. And every day inches you closer to it. So if it's fashion design that you want to do, how do you become a fashion designer that is not just clothing women, but maybe doing something more, giving women the confidence to be comfortable in, their, in what they wear, in how they look, you know, and, and to appear and, and show up in meetings, you know, feeling okay with themselves. Do you want to add that extra touch to how you make your customers or your clients? Is it food you want to be? And I know, I know everyone is a chef right now. I've been dreaming <laughs> of becoming my own chef also. But if it, is it in the corporate ladder? Is mm. it in, in, in social activism where many young people now find their voice? Because we are living in very perilous times. You know, the economy, COVID did a number on us. And then you have insecurity and the rest of that. So... There's, there's so much interest in social justice issues. What particular area of social justice really makes you boil or makes you happy? So rather than agonize over those things that make you unhappy, that you're not happy with, you, you find a way to organize around it, to change it. You know? So for me, those three steps are key. Find your, you know, defeat that no-can-do spirit first so mm. you don't second-guess yourself. Find something that really, you know, Center yourself and find something that really makes you happy, that you do well. Identify an issue that you think you have the solution to, you know, not the problem first. I always try to say the solution to a problem rather than identifying a problem and finding a solution. Mm. I believe that you should find a solution to a problem and mm. anticipate something because there are already existing problems. Why mm. don't you anticipate something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and say in a few years or yesterday or today or tomorrow, I think this is going to be something that I can solve and this is my solution uh, and for, and for this, yeah. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that is so beautiful. I tell people all the time that there are a lot of, young people still that message me and say, okay, this is what I believe as a feminist. I believe that I shouldn't be washing plates in the kitchen if my younger brother is sitting down there playing Xbox. I feel like he should be joining me to, he should join me to do that. I believe that I should be able to thrive to become president of Nigeria one day. But people are telling me that it's impossible. We live in a man's world. This is a male dominated country. It can never work out for you. Personally, in your life, you're a mother of two beautiful girls. You've been married for 20 plus years now, <laughs> you know, and you've been able to sort of balance your career, your life as a feminist, and also have a successful marriage and, you know, raise beautiful kids who are, you know, level-headed. So how have you been able to achieve this, you know, in your personal life, despite wearing this tag of being a feminist? I think it's understanding that everybody comes to the table with different skills. 
different voices mm -hmm. and different specialties. And I always tell people, anything around home chore or house care or whatever, it's a skill everyone needs. You know, the, 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 the narrative changes when you're in Europe or America, mm -hmm. where African men say they can't wash, wash dishes mm -hmm. and they can't do this and they can't do that. Okay, go try it in the U.S. where you have to pay $50 an hour uh -huh. to get someone to do that for you. So it's because of cheap labor. And you talked about um, the difference, you know, of our $42 billion. Mm -hmm. uh, dollars in terms of uh, uh, um, you know the economy, the, the yeah. economy. Yeah. and so that unpaid care mm -hmm. is just what pulls a lot of women down. That's why I say there are systemic and structural issues that women have to grapple with mm. that you don't have to grapple with. I've made soup and stew while on a Zoom call. Mm. Many men probably won't have to do that, mm -hmm. but I had to juggle that. So I think in my life it is realizing that I'm at, uh, taking note of the. The stage, I mean, when my kids were younger, when my marriage was younger, and I was trying to understand each other. Of course, I had to put my feet down at some point. He had to say, no, this is what I want. And we had to come to a compromise. Mm. Compromise is the key. Mm. It's not been a bed of roses all the time, but yeah. it's, it's having to make those concessions and understanding that you're in a relationship with somebody who is completely different from you. You didn't marry your brother or your sister. Mm -hmm. Even when you did, you do, uh, when they used to do in the royal families back in those days, <laughs> you were still different identities. Yeah. You know, Even as a human being, you still struggle with your own personal demons. So it's also understanding that there are different at different stages in your life there are different things you can or cannot do there's so many things that limit women's potential violence is one of them mm. and my current role is looking at how to prevent gender-based violence from happening in the first place you know even though a lot of efforts across you know the country looks at response criminalization and support we are more or less focused on prevention as a response to gender-based violence you know and many women you know uh, are afraid to do certain jobs. They're afraid to go out at certain times of the day because of violence. Even in the offices, you have sexual harassment and all forms of gender, you know, based violence affecting women and girls and the lives of women are cut short, you know, in the most dire circumstances where they even die, mm. you know, whether it's spousal battery, whether it's rape, you know, or, or female genital mutilation, whether it's... Uh, um, widowhood practices or negative and cultural practices, you know, that, that undermine the power, voice, and agency of women. So that's where my work is looking at, shifting those norms, those social norms and cultural narratives that encourage those things to happen in the first place. Because mm. to prevent it, would need to itemize all those negative social and cultural practices that say, oh, women must shave your hair, you must do this, you must do that, it's our culture, it's this, and those are the things that perpetuate violence. And we're working with faith and culture leaders, for instance. You know, it's a faith leader that would say, no, stay and pray, go to the war room while a woman is being beaten at home, rather than that faith leader saying, you need to protect yourself first. Get mm -hmm. out of that abusive relationship. Or this is a safe space. Or call out them and not stop him from taking communion. Mm -hmm. We need those drastic actions to be taken to support women and not questions like, what were you wearing? What did you say to him? Did you mm -hmm. burn his food? Did you respect him? Did you? So changing the narrative about how we respond to gender-based violence and telling perpetrators that there's no, it's not business as usual. There's no safe space for you. We're moving the safe space to the survival or to the women and girls most at risk of gender-based violence, you know, and we're calling, and you know, for people like you in the media, you know, it's changing how we report on some of these things rather than saying, 
um, um, young girl walking at night was ripped. Mm. Come on. Young girl walking at night wearing short skirts. Was ripped. <laughs> you know, so already you've, Sometimes I see you've these headlines and judgment like on, oh my on the God. girl. You know, when, when, when the case of this young girl, it really broke my heart who, who, who was ripped and killed in a BRT bus. I said, that should be the safest place. And this mm -hmm. was 8 p.m. She was coming back from a hard day's job. Mm -hmm. She was in a government bus. She did not take a lift. Mm -hmm. It was not one chance, you know. So those kind of conversations need to be had. All right. This has been a beautiful conversation. I have a question from social media who says, um, I'm a feminist and my biggest fear is that I wouldn't get married because I am feminist and African. Um, mm. What advice do you have for me? Oh dear. <laughs> um, whoever loves you for you would find you. And don't try too hard to, to fit into a narrative just because you want to get married. Because mm. you, you would have that struggle with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's like trying to pretend that I'm a doctor so that I can get a job in a hospital. I, I'm probably going to kill a lot of people. I would definitely kill it if, if that mm -hmm. happens. That, that's the, the only narrative I can find, the only example I can find right now. So if this is who you are uh, and this is what you believe and you believe that women and girls and men and women should have equal access, equal opportunities, that should not be limited uh, by so societal constructs and then you should find people in those circles who share the same ideology with you. Otherwise, if you suppress that ideology that you believe in, just to find a mate to settle with, mm. you know, who is a traditional African man, mm. you're going to have that struggle. You will come out. You'll bury it for a while, but it will come out and you'll be unhappy. But believing that justice and equity is for all, you don't even need to, to, to bear that name. Mm. So you don't have to say it everywhere. Everybody you meet, I'm a feminist. I, you know, it's, it's, it's I, you, the same way you don't say I'm a lawyer just before you enter a taxi or before you go into a church or before you enter into a meeting. That personality that believes in certain justices or certain rights of every human being would show forth. And there is a man or a woman out there, if you're a male feminist, because there are, mm -hmm. who would love the fact that you believe in, in, in social justice. And, and I would want to be with this person who strongly advocates for justice and equity. I think that's such a brilliant answer. I don't even think there's anything for me to add to that because you really hit the nail on the head that if feminism doesn't make you attractive to a setting you know, caliber of men, then number one, maybe those that caliber of men, you know, isn't for you. Then number two, you question the sort of feminism you practice, mm -hmm. right? As you said, you don't go around announcing, I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist. No, you don't need to. Men don't need to go around announcing, I'm a feminist. You know, feminism, I believe we all know, is anybody who believes in the um, rights of the social, uh, political, economic rights of women, right? So, a man can be a feminist, a woman can be a feminist, but it's not something that needs to be this negative, 
you know, connotation that I feel like he has gotten in a while, mm. very argumentative, very belittling, you know, group of people who just, you know, see everything a man does as bad and everything a woman does, whether good or bad, as good, you know. So I think it's about interrogating and investigating, first of all, what your beliefs are. And for me personally, um, I feel like coupling feminism with your religion also and your religion interpreted the right way mm. also helps you become more attractive because if you understand what the Bible has said, the power of what God has called you to do and become as a woman to go out and, you know, impact the lives that you're meant to then couple that with your belief that, mm. you know, a woman can achieve and a woman can, you know, uh, attain whatever level of impact and success that she sets her mind to, that should make any right-thinking man attracted to you, you know. So doing it the right way and coupling it with the spirit of discernment, which is given to you by God, given to you by the Holy Spirit, I believe that, you know, you would find that special person for you. Um, so thank you so much for watching this episode. Thank you again, Funke, for being here. Pleasure. Follow us on social media at Womanity Africa and uh, watch out for all our episodes on the first of every month. And you'll be seeing me again and you'll be hearing from me again for those listening on radio or Spotify or Apple podcast. You'll be hearing more of me. And for those watching, you'll be seeing me every first of the month. Take very good care of yourself and God bless you. And before I forget, there's a tradition I learned from one of my very favorite podcasts, um, Diary of a CEO. All of you should check that out. Uh, they leave a question for the next guest that's coming. Mm. But I'm going to remix this. You're going to leave a little note of motivation to oh. the next woman that's going to be sitting, um, you know, where you're sitting today. So just a short note just to motivate um, her and you know to keep that pep in her step so okay. you shall be doing shall that be as we're signing out mm -hmm. peace, peace. <laughs> peace.